on hearing the way. The best of men will earnestly explore its length. The mediocre person learns of it and takes it up and sets it down. But vulgar people, when they hear the news, will laugh out loud, and if they did not laugh, it would not be the way. Lao Tzu, founder of Taoism. Chapter 4 Esoteric Spiritual Texts In this chapter we follow on from the discussion on mythologies in the last two chapters to explore the ancient religions and spiritual texts available to us. As previously mentioned, one has to ask the question, why should these ancient stories be dismissed when they have been imprinted upon our psyche for so long? Why should their contents be rejected when they continue to provide the very foundation of our laws and moral standards? It can be accepted that religion over the centuries has gathered a bad reputation for itself in many quarters as being responsible for many wars and often full of corruption. However, it is not the texts themselves that are corrupt, but man who has corrupted them and used them for his own gain. What is it that drives leaders of religions to insist on many occasions with force that their religious beliefs are the better ones and therefore should be imposed on others? This seems particularly inopposite when, for example, it is considered that of three of the main religions, Judaism, Christianity and Islam, they all derive from Abraham. Whilst the religious systems may be corrupted, it is not the texts of any mainstream religion that make it corrupt, but the so-called teachers and interpreters of today and yesteryear who are to blame. It is essential to glean from these texts an individual understanding of the message that they offer. Indeed, it would be beneficial for the individual to read a variety or as many texts as possible in order to get to some one truth or original source and to see the glaring similarities between the texts. In this way, to read a number of the spiritual texts of a variety of cultures and compare the testimony of each would serve to supplement, strengthen and to throw further light upon the content of the others. Whilst we will look at the mainstream texts, it's not primarily to these Bibles such as the Tanakh, the Bible in Judaism, the New Testament or the Quran that I intend to explore in this chapter. Instead, I will focus on what might be particularly gleaned from derivative texts and spiritual books which contain profound esoteric matter. The benefit of these texts is that they have been less tampered with than some of the mainstream texts and in some instances been hidden for many hundreds of years. It is my belief that these spiritual texts also bear witness to and provide evidence of a specific spiritual experience. On this point, there is again evidence of a glaring overlap within cultures which, having been established well into the BCE era, should realistically have had no communication whatsoever with each other. It is clear that if this significant overlap and unifying element has not been previously overlooked, it certainly has not been embraced. This is unfortunate since I feel that the identification of such could and should provide a basis upon which a cessation of conflict between religious thoughts should begin. What emerges from these esoteric texts is a common focus on three main elements, 
those of seeking truth, gaining knowledge and achieving wisdom. Added to these is a profound sense of contemplation, introspection and meditation, and what particularly fascinated me initially was the constant similar references across cultures and in all cases to an association with light. Consistently, light is associated by context with the idea of unity and communication with the divine, which manifests itself in a particularly physical experience. This chapter will take a focused and unconventional view of religions and will present a preponderant amount of evidence from the scriptures across the globe which provides evidence of this experience and its association with light. The forerunners of these religions and spiritual thought themselves had such enlightening experiences, but on these messiahs, prophets and transformational figures I will elaborate in chapter 6 when I discuss the experience itself. William James discusses this very same experience in his book, The Varieties of Religious Experience, A Study in Human Nature. The author and this particular work were suggested to me by Dr. Raymond Moody, whose work will be discussed in Chapter 7. William James was an original thinker in and between the disciplines of psychology, physiology and philosophy, who imparted such ideas as the stream of thought. In varieties, James's interest is not in religious institutions, ritual or even religious ideas particularly, but in the feelings, acts and experiences of individual men in their solitude so far as they apprehend themselves to stand in relation to whatever they may consider the divine. It is an empirical inquiry into the natural history of human consciousness, replete with examples of case studies of individuals who have had such an experience and its association with light. James suggested every religious phenomenon has its history and its derivation from natural antecedents and poses the question, under what biographic conditions did the sacred writers bring forth their various contributions to the holy volume? And what had they exactly in their several individual minds when they delivered their utterances? James cites Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism and Buddhism and suggests that spiritual texts were not composed out of whim but must have possessed some original foundation and instance to their compositions. He also suggests that this experience corroborates incompatible theological doctrines. The experience articulated in and of the forerunners of religion and spiritual thought and text James also associates with light in some volume. James describes this experience as a mystical one which astonishes its subjects by its suddenness and which manifests itself in individuals who, even in the absence of any acute feeling, the higher condition having reached the due degree of energy bursts through all barriers and sweeps in like a sudden flood. James points out that the experience is of a private nature when he states that the religious experience we are studying is that which lives itself out within the private beast. In addition to the association with light, which can be seen mirrored by the evidence in the spiritual text we will now consider, he proposes that it is also associated with the union of the self and the divine. This will be corroborated by Dr. Richard Maurice Buke in chapters 5 and 6.
The spiritual texts we will look to are the Dead Sea Scrolls of the Essenes, the Nag Hammadi Library of the Gnostics, the Zohar of Kabbalah study or Jewish mysticism, the Tanakh of Judaism, the New Testament Bible of Christianity, and we will also discuss Christian mysticism, and finally the Quran of Islam, and we will also discuss Islamic mysticism. In each case, I will review the discovery, heritage, or origin of these texts, and then provide specific example of the texts as quotations showing the common emphasis that seems to lie with the elements of truth, knowledge, and wisdom, and in particular, the consistent references to light as an association with the divine. In 1947, a young Bedouin shepherd, in search of his lost goat, accidentally found the first of the lost Hebrew scrolls, today known as the Dead Sea Scrolls, in a cave at the site of Qumran in the Judean desert in Israel. The scrolls were secreted in caves and remain undisturbed for almost 2,000 years. They reveal the history of the Second Temple period, and there was much activity between 1951 and 1956 to find additional manuscripts in further caves. The Qumran site was established and occupied by a sect known as the Essenes, probably from the 2nd century BCE, and there are further suggestions of silent ones, healers, or pious ones. The Essenes and their leader, the teacher of righteousness, an anonymous priest who was the spiritual leader of the community, were a separatist group who, according to Flavius Josephus, were one of three groups who formed a division of the Jews in the Second Temple period. It is not known who this founder of the Essenes was, or how or from whence he came and when he died. The Essenes were an ascetic, monastic community that retreated into the wilderness of the desert for profound contemplation and to separate themselves from the congregation of perverse men. In the Community Rule, a chapter within the Dead Sea Scrolls, the text refers to the sect as the men of holiness and the men of perfect holiness who were exclusively devoted to contemplation and spirituality. The quotations which follow are from the Complete Dead Sea Scrolls in English, translated by Geza Vermes. In the introduction, it is stated of the Essenes that they were expected to become proficient in the knowledge of the two spirits in which men walk and how to recognize a son of light from a son of darkness belonging to the lot of Belial or Satan. And the elect, as they were known, or the Essenes, were guided by the spirit of truth in the ways of light. And we also find that the master shall instruct all the sons of light and shall teach them the nature of all things. The aim of the holy life of the Essene was to penetrate the secrets of heaven in this world and to strive for mystical knowledge through study, contemplation and meditation. Their esoteric teachings were recorded in secret books. There are schools of thought that assert that Jesus, if not an Essene himself, at least had interaction with this sect. This meditation, knowledge and wisdom, when mentioned in the Dead Sea Scrolls, is consistently associated with the word light. For example, we find in hymns and poems, Glory is the perfect light of knowledge. And in the Songs of the Sage, we find... 
For God has caused the knowledge of understanding to shine in my heart. We also find in the book of Enoch that after all the secrets of the lights and the lightnings were shown to me, and they lighten for blessing and for satisfying. And also from the book of Enoch, from my heavenly vision and from the voice of angels I have acquired knowledge, and from the tablet of heaven I have acquired understanding. Here we have seen the consistent reference to truth, knowledge, wisdom, and light from this ancient text hidden in caves and left untampered with for almost 2,000 years, without any subsequent amendments, as is the case with other biblical texts. The communication of spirituality, therefore, seems more immediate. The Nag Hammadi Library, also known as the Gnostic Gospels, is another text which remains untampered with, having also been hidden for hundreds of years. It was originally buried around 400 CE, and like the Dead Sea Scrolls, they too were found accidentally, but a little earlier in 1945 in the Nag Hammadi region of Upper Egypt, and are now exhibited in the Coptic Museum in Cairo. The word Gnostics is derived from the Greek word Gnosis, translated as knowledge. Gnosis, however, is meant to mean more than just rational knowledge. In this context, it can be translated as insight or esoteric spiritual knowledge, since Gnosis involves an intuitive process of knowing oneself. The Gnostics were of the firm belief that the only answers were to be found within themselves and by embarking on an intensely private and spiritual inward journey. The individual who then experienced their own nature would become enlightened. Again, the Nag Hammadi Library, in a similar way to the Dead Sea Scrolls, concerns itself with the search for the same elements of truth and derived wisdom and the association with the light. This can be seen in various quotations, such as from the Apocalypse of Peter, which says, I am the intellectual spirit filled with radiant light. He whom saw you coming to me is our intellectual pleroma, which unites the perfect light with my Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of Truth we find, It is within unity that each one will attain himself, Within knowledge he will purify himself from the multiplicity into unity, consuming matter within himself like fire and darkness by light. And from the Gospel of Philip we find, Knowledge then is the light through light. And from the Gospel of the Egyptians we find, The light of the word and the truth. The Nag Hammadi Library is full of references to introspection and acknowledges a distinct form of knowing obtained by experience or perception. This is gained from inward personal and absolute knowledge of the authentic truths of existence. Gnosticism asserts that direct personal and absolute knowledge and the attainment of such knowledge is the supreme achievement of individual knowledge, albeit rooted in the self and this knowledge leads to spiritual freedom. The Zohar, of which Jewish mysticism is formed, has long existed, initiated primarily to unravel the mysteries of the biblical text of Judaism. It exists still today in the form of Kabbalah, which has gained great popularity and a celebrity following over recent years. It should be noted, however, that the Kabbalists were preceded by the Merkaba mystics, 
This group is among the very earliest movements in Jewish mysticism and based this mysticism on a vision by Ezekiel, as recounted in the book of Ezekiel. The Merkaba mystics meditated on the very same image as in Ezekiel's vision to develop a fuller understanding of God. Although Merkaba precedes Kabbalah, they possess several practices and theories in common. The Zohar is the premier text of Jewish mysticism and considered as the foremost Kabbalistic text. The title itself is Hebrew for splendor or radiance, and here again we find the connection to light. This group of books, the Zohar, is a commentary on the Torah, written in both Aramaic and Hebrew and of great antiquity, and is an accumulation of treaties, texts, extracts or fragments of texts belonging to different periods but parallel in their mystical interpretation of the Torah and of Jewish and non-Jewish mystical thought. It is thought that these teachings of the Kabbalah were transmitted from teacher to teacher until its redaction by Simeon ben Yohai. According to tradition, when an individual studies the writings of this Kabbalistic canon, they gain knowledge of what was previously hidden from them. It is only after acquiring a heightened spiritual sense through study that they begin to feel and see what was previously unrevealed. When an individual is exposed to these writings, they may not initially grasp what they are reading. However, if they want to understand and employ effort in the correct way, they invoke what is called the surrounding light, a light which descends from above and the light which corrects them, and they are shown spiritual reality. There is too much esotericism within the Zohar to expound upon within this chapter. However, it is important to note that there is reference to reincarnation and numerous references to wisdom and knowledge as well as communion with the infinite, and all of these associated with the instance of light. The Tanakh is the Hebrew Bible and is an acronym for the three divisions of the Hebrew canon. Within one of them, the Torah, we find again the theme of light. In Deuteronomy, God is described as a consuming fire, and in the Book of Wisdom it is stated that she, wisdom, is a reflection of eternal light. We find further instances in the books of Daniel and Psalms, where it states, There is a man in thy kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him. We also find, O oh, send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me, let them bring me unto thy holy mountain. We also see, He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. We also find a theme of light in the New Testament. In the New Testament, in John 1.5, it states that God is light and Jesus is described as the true light. As in the Torah, there are numerous instances of light being mentioned, but mainly in relation to St. John or Jesus Christ. For instance, in John 1.6, it says, There was sent a man from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men through him shall believe. And we find in John 3.21, But he that doeth truth cometh to the light. And again in 1 John 
1, 5, we find, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light. In addition to the aforementioned examples, there is also Christian mysticism to briefly take into account. James, in Varieties, discusses Christian mysticism and states that the experiences of these have been treated as precedents, that a codified system of mystical theology has been based upon them, in which everything legitimate finds its place. The basis of the system is orison, or meditation, the methodical elevation of the soul towards God. Through the practice of orison, the higher levels of mystical experience may be attained and there are manuals which exist to attain this. He further states that sensorial images such as the imaginary figure of Christ are usually employed as part of the meditative technique and play a vital part in Christian mysticism. However, in certain cases the imagery may disappear and in the highest raptures this is the norm. The individual state of consciousness then becomes insusceptible to any verbal description. Mythical teachers are unanimous in this, and St. John of the Cross declares that this state is reached by dark contemplation. St. Teresa describes this experience as orison of union, and much like other spiritual texts in this chapter, describes this as when God raises a soul to union with himself. There is a similar condition and experience which is called raptus by theologians. Raptus is the Latin for seized, and as will be seen in further chapters, is included in the description used by many with regards to this experience. St. John of the Cross was born in 1542 and died in 1591. In his beautifully worded book, The Mystical Doctrine of St. John of the Cross, he too stresses the importance of meditation and knowledge. He refers to the experience as luminous, lighting the soul in which it is found in a way of which it can never, even to itself, give a satisfactory account. The result is only a deeper impression of obscurity. This ineffability, he states, is because this spiritual light is so clear, pure and diffused, neither confined to, not specially related to, any particular matter of understanding natural or divine. With regard to this inability to sufficiently describe the profound impact of this unique experience, we will see much more commentary. The Quran is the book at the foundation of Islam and which is the infallible word of Allah that was revealed to the Prophet Muhammad by the angel Gabriel. A Muslim is one who believes in all the prophets of God sent to any nation, whether mentioned in the Quran or not. In passage 4078, it states that There are some that we have mentioned to thee, and there are others whom we have not mentioned to thee. The Quran relates how God has always been known to man through divine revelation, and that revelation is a universal fact. In 3524 to 25, it says, Every community has been sent a warner. Messengers came to them with clear signs, scriptures, and enlightening revelation. There is also the theme of light in the Quran, and we find examples such as, Lo, we did reveal the Torah, wherein there is guidance and light, and so believe in his messenger and the light which we have revealed. 
In the chapter title Light in the Quran, it states that there has been given advice for those who are contemplative of God and that God is the light of the heavens and earth and that God guides whoever he will to his light. This light is compared to a lamp whose oil gives light even when no fire touches it, a light upon light, suggesting more than metaphor and pertains to a particular instance. Islam also has its brand of mysticism, better known as Sufism. Islamic mysticism is properly known as Tasawwuf, but has been referred to as Sufism in the West since the early 19th century. This is the mystical Islamic belief and practice in which Muslims seek to find the truth of divine love and knowledge through a direct and personal experience of an omniscient entity. Though still with the absolute belief that Islam is the highest manifestation of the divine, the Sufi mystics thought that intuitive knowledge was essential in acquiring illumination of the mind and the unification of one's being with the divine, to which reason had no access. This direct tasting of the experience was essential to the Sufis and was known as Thok. These mystics were also known as Awaliya, denoting the Muslim mystic who had attained a proximity to God and were ones who are friends of God, who have no fear nor are they sad. The path to this illumination imperatively includes meditation and interior knowledge or knowledge of the self. This experience and the idea of the manifestation of divine wisdom were also connected with the Prophet Muhammad, who was described as light from light and on whom I will elaborate in chapter 6. The last great figure in the line of classical Sufism was Al-Ghazali, who died in 1111 and is mentioned along with Sufism in James's Varieties. Al-Ghazali's book, Deliverance from Error, is described as a spiritual biography and would rate as an Islamic classic. It provides a mode of interpretation and guidance for the life of a Muslim who wishes to penetrate to deeper levels of Muslim spirituality. Suffice it to say that Al-Ghazali's book contains many references to light and states of his personal experience that it was an effect of light which the God Most High cast into his breast and that light is the key to most knowledge. In all these texts from the Middle East, there is consistent reference to light as a manifestation associated with seeking knowledge, wisdom and truth and employing contemplation. We can now look at the ancient texts of the Far East and find the very same combination within the esoteric spiritual texts of Eastern philosophy and religions. We will now discuss spiritual texts from the Far East. In India and of Hinduism, the most ancient of sacred literature are the Vedas, a Sanskrit word meaning knowledge, which is a large corpus of texts that form the sacred texts of Hinduism. But as in the previous section, we will again focus on the derivative spiritual texts, in this case of Hinduism, a profound meaning within which there is an abundance of evidence. The two Hindu texts we will look at are the Upanishads and the Bhagavad Gita. We will also look at other Eastern sacred texts in Taoism, Buddhism and Jainism. The Upanishads of Hinduism literally means sitting near the feet of the teacher and is a philosophical work espousing a secret doctrine. The name itself refers to the secret knowledge acquired by sitting near the master. 
The Bhagavad Gita is an equally important spiritual text of Hinduism and included within the Mahabharata. In an introduction to this text, also by one Mascaro, he writes, There is a prayer in the Vedas which for over 3,000 years has been every morning on the lips of Indians. It is the famous Gayarti, which when translated means, Let our meditation be on the glorious light of Savitri. May this light illumine our minds. The poet of the Vedas who chanted these words saw into the future. The mind of India has never tired in search for the light. There are several themes within the Bhagavad Gita, such as yoga, which also means samhadi, a state of inner communion with the object of contemplation, which when turned to, towards the source of all creation, we have light, which is again reflected in chapter 6. Spiritual vision, above all, scriptures pre- and post-Gita, focuses on the spiritual experience. It states, When thy mind leaves behind its dark forest of delusion, thou shalt go beyond the scriptures of times past and still to come. When thy mind, that may be wavering in the contradiction of many scriptures, shall rest in divine contemplation, then the goal of yoga is thine. The Gita places the man of Janana, the man of light, above all men. He is in God. It is the highest theme in the Gita. The man of vision and eye are one, states Krishna. In the Gita, we also find examples such as, If the light of a thousand suns suddenly arose in the sky, that splendor might be compared to the radiance of the Supreme Spirit. And we further find, and Arjuna saw in that radiance the whole universe in its variety, standing in a vast unity in the body of the God of Gods. Mascaro states that the spiritual visions of man confirm and illumine each other in the Bhagavad Gita, and within this work we have faith, a faith based on spiritual vision, and in this vision we have light. We find within all Sanskrit literature, including the Vedas, the Mahabharata, and derivative but esoteric texts, this continuing instance of introspection, contemplation, visions, and an experience closely aligned to light. In India, we find further instance in Sikhism, which means learner in Punjabi. Its founder, Nanak, was raised a Hindu, but much like other prophets and messiahs, made several solitary journeys seeking knowledge. He stated that one must meditate to progress towards enlightenment, and indeed seeks to describe one's individual light as being derived from God's supreme light. Of the text of Taoism, the Tao Te Ching was written or compiled by the Chinese sage named Lao Tzu, or Old Master, who was born in approximately 601 BCE. Tao literally means way, path, or course, but was extended to mean path ahead, or way forward, or the way. Te means virtue in the sense of personal character or inner strength. The semantics of this Chinese word resemble the English word virtue, developed from a now archaic sense of inner potency or divine power. Qing finds meaning in rule, plan, scripture or classic. The Tao Te Ching praises self-knowledge. It states, knowing the self is enlightenment, and then adds that mastering the self requires strength. There are also further examples of light mentioned in this text. We find... Who uses well his light, 
reverting to its source so bright, will from his body ward all blight, and hides the unchanging from men's sight. And as a final example we find, therefore the scintillations of light from the midst of confusion and perplexity are indeed valued by the sagely man. There are few other texts which emphasize self-knowledge and introspection so greatly, attaining wisdom and meditation as the texts of Buddhism. James in Varieties describes this philosophy in strictness as a system which is atheistic and that popularly, of course, Buddha himself stands in the place of a god. It is perhaps the least tampered with of all the texts discussed in this book to show the unadulterated way to enlightenment. As Albert Einstein suggests of this philosophy, the religion of the future will be a cosmic religion. It should transcend a personal god and avoid dogma and theology covering both the natural and the spiritual. It should be based on a religious sense arising from the experience of all things natural and spiritual as a meaningful unity. Buddhism answers this description. If there is any religion that could cope with modern scientific needs, it would be Buddhism. Gautama Buddha, or Siddhartha, abandoned his home and became a mendicant, a beggar, in the middle of the 5th century BCE. Though a prince, he was greatly depressed by the suffering of his father's subjects. He employed meditation for 49 days, which resulted in his gaining enlightenment at the age of 35, under a tree. He spent the rest of his life teaching insights, wisdom, and compassion. Within the teaching of the Buddha, there is constant reference to light as a way to self-realization. We find examples such as following the noble path is like entering a dark room with a light in the hand. The darkness will all be cleared away and the room filled with light. And we also find make of yourself a light. Rely upon yourself. Do not depend upon anyone else. Make my teachings your light. Rely upon them. Do not depend on any other teaching. Much the same can be attributed to the ancient religious and philosophic system of Jainism, the follower of which is called a jinnah or spiritual victor. It is based on the premise that the goal of human life is liberation, which is defined as perfect knowledge, perfect intuition and eternal bliss, and describes the path to liberation as an enlightened worldview, which is enlightened knowledge and enlightened conduct. Jainism does not fall under the umbrella of Vedic or Hindu traditions as described earlier. It is a non-theistic religion with its own sacred texts and jinnas or spiritual victors whose teachings are neither derived through divine revelation nor manifested through some inherent magical power. It is the individual human soul which, aided by earlier teachings, comes to know the truth. For religious cultures in Latin and South America, such as the Maya and Inca, which have been referred to in previous chapters, the spiritual texts unfortunately no longer exist, as they were mostly destroyed by the Spanish several centuries ago. If they were not destroyed, then any surviving texts and the association with light were corrupted. As Humbat's men writes in his book, Secrets of Mayan Science and Religion, he states, the Mayan word for illumination or enlightenment is season. 
Unfortunately, its significance was distorted by the Spanish friars, as well as by the laws of the Inquisition. Season means radiating energy, but today, in the Yucatan, the word is associated with the devil because of the friars' distortions. Over time, Mayan spiritual refinement has been brutalized by Catholic ideas. Suffice to say that such spiritual thought was not lost or missed by the Maya or the Inca, as will be discussed later in Caduceus. A summarization of the different types of spiritual texts in different regions of the world cannot be better described than Mascaro's introduction to the Bhagavad Gita, as the various spiritual visions of man all coming together in one light. He states, The spiritual visions of man confirm and illumine each other. We have the cosmic greatness of Hinduism, the moral issues of Zoroaster, the joy in truth of Buddha, the spiritual victory of Jainism, the simple love of Tao, the wisdom of Confucius, the poetry of Shinto, the one God of Israel, the redeeming radiance of Christianity, the glory of the God of Islam, the harmony of the Sikhs, great poems in different languages, but they are all poetry, the spiritual visions of man, all from one light. In them we have lamps of fire that burn to the glory of God. He goes on to say, If we read the scriptures and books of wisdom of the world, if we consider the many spiritual experiences recorded in the writings of the past, we find one spiritual faith, and this faith is based on a vision of truth, not indeed the truth of the laws of nature gradually discovered by the human mind, but the truth of our being. In the Bhagavad Gita we have faith, a faith based on spiritual vision. In this vision we have light, shall we see? This song calls us to love and life, shall we hear? Every moment of our life can be the beginning of great things. As Heraclitus, a Greek philosopher, said, For wisdom, listen not to me, but to the word, and know that all are one. And it was Jesus who said, Man, know thyself. This chapter is not merely to show the anomaly of the number of glaring overlaps of these global sacred texts, as in previous chapters, but moreover to cite a specific occurrence of a physical nature, a tangible instance of a spiritual event which is in connection with God or an omniscient entity, and solidly and consistently associated with the combination of knowledge of the self, internal and external, contemplation and meditation, and this continuous instance of of light. As we will see later on, it is not only global scripture that highlights the instance of light, but also that the forerunners and originators of these religions and spiritual thought had enlightening experiences in the most literal of terms. It is my conviction that this use of light as a specific instance is more than mere metaphor and finds a basis in reality, which I will expand upon in chapter 6. This experience will be elaborated upon in detail after presenting further evidence of this phenomenon from historically more recent sources. The following chapter will look at some of the great thinkers from the last six centuries who, intentionally or not, followed the suggestion and advice cited in this chapter. They contemplated widely and profoundly, resulting in their experiencing this light.